Grab your Bibles. We're going to get into some scripture tonight. And you know, as as we were singing and and we're singing uh, the goodness of God and reading those scriptures that surely His goodness will follow me all the days of my life. I was. It just dawned on me that I'm like, I think for a lot of us, we think that this is this is God's first go round on a presidential election. <laughs> and I started thinking like, He's the Lord's been through this a few times. Like he, he's, he's seen the good and he's seen the bad and he's still worked in the midst of it. And so I'm excited to talk tonight about and get in God's word because um, I think it's in moments like these, in seasons like this, and for many of you uh, as young adults, like this is maybe the first or second or maybe even the third election that you've been through. And, and what our world likes to do is peddle fear. They love to just send it to you every day through tweets and Facebook messages and your aunt does too and, and everybody just likes to serve everybody a dish of fear. And we're gonna see it tonight, right? We'll see it tomorrow. We'll see that in the coming days, fear being fed to us. And that's why I think when we sing songs like this, it just gets me fired up, because I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. God is good, and this is not his first go around, and he's the one that puts kings on thrones, and he's the one that takes them off. And But he is good enough, and he is big enough, and he is powerful enough and sovereign enough to work even through what we people who are short-sighted are fearful of. Like it, the image that God gave me earlier today was like, we're playing in a sandbox and we're building our little castles and we're, 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 we're trying really hard to protect it and make sure that everything's good and we're playing in a sandbox. And it could take a gust of wind to knock down that empire that I just built. It could take a rainstorm overnight and to take care of and wash away all the things that I've tried so desperately. I mean, I guess we're, our politicians are playing in a sandbox. Like, you've got the mailers in the mail. I mean, are you serious? Like, every day, we were getting three or four or five different mailers. Like, they're pouring a lot of money into their sandbox saying, this is what you gotta do and this is, this is the most important election you've ever had. And like, fear, fear, fear. But God's watching as a loving father saying, you know what? I'm gonna will and work all this out for the good of those who love him and for my glory. And so we're gonna get into God's word tonight. So my first question is this. Obviously, it's election night. Did y'all do anything today? Anything important, significant? I know I waited two and a half hours outside. Luckily, it was, can you imagine if the, it was last Tuesday? Like, oh my goodness. Two and a half hours in line to vote because we've heard all these things, right? And, and, and you could feel it in the line, just kind of this nervous tension. You could feel in the conversations that you've had or not wanted to have. You can feel the tension. And so tonight I want to continue in our Good Life series because Psalm 34 said blessed, that word blessed in Hebrew means happy, is the one who finds refuge in the Lord. Not in an outcome, not in a circumstance, not in a situation. Blessed, happy is he who finds refuge, finds security in the Lord. And so we're going to talk tonight about the good life, specifically about the unchanging purpose of the believer. Because when I was a kid, and even now, like things happen at work, things happen in my life that, like, if I know what we're doing, and add to that why we're doing it, then I'm like, okay, whew, great. 
I know my purpose, I know why we're doing it, so let's go. So everything else can happen. Like if you were an athlete at all, playing a, a team sport, like you always had a plan going into an athletic event and you had a purpose in why you were playing out that plan and it never went to plan, but you continued on because you knew your purpose and you knew why that was your purpose. And so tonight, we're gonna talk about the unchanging purpose for the Christian. And we're gonna look at three great and I seriously mean great passages. We're gonna look at the great commandment, we're gonna look at the great commission, and we're gonna look at the great requirement. These are great passages for the Christian, especially in a day and an age when everything's changing. Nothing seems secure, everything's this day, that day, it's good, it's bad, it's terrifying, it's gonna be wonderful, it's gonna be the greatest thing ever. Like, you guys are walking through just everyday transition and change. Whether it's your job or your roommate, whatever it may be, we're switching this stuff up. And so, regardless of whether it's the president that changes or our culture that changes, our faith and our confidence and our trust and our knowledge in Jesus and that he is on the throne does not change. Our king is king today and he'll be king tomorrow and he'll be king in a, in a week and he'll be king in a year and in four years and in eternity. He is king, that's not changing. The people in office change, but our king does not change and so our faith and our confidence and our joy do not change. It may impact how we live out our faith, but it does not change our faith. And so the first one we're gonna look at tonight is the great commandment. The unchanging purpose of a Christian begins in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Let's read. Jesus was talking, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that loving the Lord is not a feeling because we are gonna go through seasons where we don't feel it. I've been through seasons in my life where I don't feel like loving the Lord. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading his word. I don't feel like worshiping because the valleys of the shadow of death happen. Pain will come. Suffering will happen. Just look at the disciples' life. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And so he's not saying, hey, when you feel like it. He's saying, I'm gonna, this is Jesus Christ. This is not Paul, this is not Peter, this is Jesus saying, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. And the struggle we have is we like to sprinkle a little bit instead of giving all. Instead of pursuing Jesus sold out, we'll give him a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then we wonder why we're left wanting. You see, it's not just a little bit, it's not just part, it's all. And your love for God is actually proven by the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself. So I don't know if you guys, what your neighborhood looks like, but this past week on the ice storm, my neighborhood looks pretty bad. We live in a neighborhood that's been there a little while and there's some mature trees and you heard that really creepy cracking in the middle of the night, right? That like the earth is splitting and your house is gonna fall in it. Like my poor son, like he's an early riser and so he, was, he went for a walk um, early Wednesday morning. And he said, he, came, he comes in and he's like, dad, there are some really weird noises coming from the next door neighbor's house. 
I'm like, what do you mean? Of course, then I'm all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, oh. Number one, when it ice storm, Hank, don't walk outside by yourself, okay? Like, uh, we, we had a conversation about that later. But our neighborhood was just a mess. Roads were impassable. Driveways could not be backed out of. I mean, you guys know what we're talking about. We all lived through it. But by noon that day, what I saw encouraged me. Because I walked outside and I saw my neighbors cleaning up my yard. Like just, I didn't ask them. I didn't pay them for sure. And so I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to go get my, get my boots on, get my gloves on, my hat, let's go. And then house by house by house, over a four-day period, our neighbors cleaned up every house in the entire neighborhood. And we're gonna have one heck of a bonfire in the next year. <laughs> but I saw this firsthand, and it's just a small thing. I saw neighbors loving one another. They weren't working on their yard, they are working on my yard. Because they knew we got a lot of busy life happening in the house. But you know what, we started, I said, all right boys, let's go. And Annabelle, she's actually our hardest worker. So we go out, we join, we join in, in the work. Multiple neighbors tried to pay. I was like, no, let's pay, like, we're like, no. It was me and three other dads and my kids. And at the end of the day, my oldest son looked at me and said, Dad, it felt really good to help our neighbors. He goes, and it felt even better to turn down that money. I was like, what? Like, he felt it. He felt the blessed life of loving your neighbor as yourself. And so to love others, we have to give them the care and consideration that we provide ourselves and our loved ones. How would you want someone to treat you? How would you want someone to treat your mother or your father? And we do the same. Because our unchanging purpose, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what's happening with your job, no matter your relationship status, no matter what happens, the unchanging purpose of your life begins with the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The next stop on the teachings of Jesus is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus, before he's about to leave, he tells his disciples this in Matthew 28, 16. says, then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, as Christians, as followers of Christ, our primary objective is to proclaim and profess the good news of Jesus. His passing, his lasting, his last command, this is not a suggestion, it's go and make disciples and teach them what I have taught you. It doesn't matter when times are changing, this is our purpose. It doesn't matter if you're having the best day, worst day, driest season, best season, our purpose is secure. And our purpose is unwavering. We love the Lord our God, we love our neighbor as ourself. And while we're serving them and loving our neighbor, we do the most loving thing a Christian can do, and that is to share Jesus with them. To show them 
the promises of Jesus. Nothing comes before this. Nothing comes before this. And I think if I'm really honest with you guys, as I kind of thought about what am I going to say on election night? Because, you know, like I thought about doing a whole series. I was like, no, everybody's tired of talking about it, so we'll just do it in one night. <laughs> I had a mixed feeling of sadness and anger when I thought about this, the Great Commission. The reason I'm sad and angry when I think about this is I fear that we as the American church have allowed the message of Jesus to be hijacked for political power and influence. That we have allowed our savior to be the thing that we stand on and use to get political influence. That we have used our savior and our faith as an excuse to get political power. And in doing so, we have soiled the image of Christ. Instead of making Jesus a compelling story of transformation in my life by the way that we post, and I'm not just, I'm saying we, I'm saying the American church. And instead of telling a compelling story of the love of Christ, we have repelled people because we have exchanged political influence and power for the, for the gospel of Jesus. Because when I read the gospels of Jesus, what I see is a guy that both sides were mad at. Nobody liked him because he pointed out the flaws in both sides. And I'm afraid that I've probably, in, over my, my, my years on this earth, I've probably participated in hijacking the gospel for other reasons. But Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, for I am with you. All authority has been given to me. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus, our purpose that is unchanging in a changing world is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself and bring the good news of Jesus to this world. And so we need to live our lives as followers of Jesus in a compelling way that would compel people to say, what the heck do you believe? that you would act like that. When you, when you talk about politics, you don't seem to be anxious. What, what is it? Instead of peddling a presidential candidate, we tell them the new good news of Jesus, of King Jesus, that he is gonna work all things for, his, for our good and his glory. Because Jesus actually invites us in, and Matthew chapter says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And what I'm sad about is that it's been hijacked, and I'm also angry because the name of Christ has been soiled because of Christians. We've exchanged the glory of God for a temporary power and influence that actually tells people we don't actually trust Jesus. We trust a political party or we trust a platform more than we trust the Savior. And so that's why it makes me sad and angry. But let me turn the corner here. Because in Luke 19, Jesus, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was God's 
purpose in sending Jesus. He knew what he was about. I came to seek and I came to save. And as ambassadors of Christ, as, re, as, as representatives of Jesus, we're to do the same. And what blows my mind is that the God of the universe chose you and you and you and you and me and you and you and you over here as God's plan A for the salvation and transformation of humanity. He chose you to send you into this world. That blows my mind. That God, in all of his wisdom, in all of his goodness, gave us the de declaration. He, he commissioned us. You, my disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have taught you, for I am with you always. One of my favorite videos, I love viral videos, I love sports viral videos, whether they're fail videos. Probably fail and scare videos are my favorite. But there was one a couple years ago. You may have seen it. There was this little kid, um, probably you know, like eight or nine years old. He had some sort of childhood cancer. But he was a huge Nebraska Cornhusker football fan. And so the team heard about the fact that he was sick and he was going through you know, chemo and whatever, so they brought him to practice. And at the end of practice, they all gathered around they, and they put him as the running back, right? And they line up. And they hand the ball off to this little kid, and he runs for a touchdown. And the whole way, all these 200, 300 pound dudes are like, go, go. And at any time, they could have just done it. They could have taken them all, like, bro, we're better at this than you, let's go. Right? They could have just picked him up, put him on his shoulders, like, we'll just take you to the finish line. But no, they said, hey, we're going to do this with you. There's the goal, here's the ball, go. And I believe that is what God is doing for us. He knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. But Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the earth. And so he says, go make disciples. Take the ball and run. And so in an ever-changing world, the purpose of the Christian does not change. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our minds. So here's the deal. Let's go. Let's go, church. This is what we're made for. Our faith and our, and our Savior have been hijacked. It's time to reclaim our Savior. It's time to reclaim our faith and go for what we've been called to do. And we start reshaping and remaking the image of Christ. Instead of living in fear, we actually live out our faith. And we say, I believe in a higher power that is going to use even this and he is with me in my fear, and he is with me in my insecurities, and he's with me in the unknown, he's with me in the unprecedented things, he's with me, and so I'm good. I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow nervous. I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow anxious, because I know that Jesus says, I am with you always till the end of the age. Go and make disciples. If you've been around here a while, you've probably heard me say, if your faith is boring, this is probably why. You're not living out your purpose. If your faith is just attending the gathering or church or small group, and you're like, is this it? 100% I can guarantee this is probably why it's boring. Because you are not running with the ball when the purpose God has intended for you. Right? We've, we, we've punted it. So let somebody else do it. 
Because guys, there's nothing I love more. Nothing I love more that makes my faith more exciting than sharing Jesus with somebody and seeing what God does, even with my, my failed attempts. Because you're God's plan A. The church, the bride of Christ, is God's plan A for salvation for every human on earth. And he has placed people in your workplace, in your apartment complex, at your workout facility, in your high school class that you still keep in touch with. He has placed people around you, and you're his plan A. So let's go, church. Let's go. Like, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. He's given you the ball. He's, he's like, I'm with you. Let's go. Come on. It's like when I teach my kids how to ride the bike. They don't know, but I'm holding the, the seat. Try not to throw my back out. But they're pedaling, and they're like, ah, oh, and they're scared, and they're terrified, but they don't know I'm holding the seat. They're not going to fall. They might run into the mailbox, but they're not gonna fall. And Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, so go and make disciples. You're God's plan A. Thirdly, the unchanging purpose of the Christian after the great commandment and after the great commission is the great requirement. The great requirement, and this comes from Micah 6.8. It's a very familiar passage. And what's happening in Micah is Micah's a prophet and God is unhappy with the, un the injustices that are happening in Israel. It's a prolonged time of peace. And so in that prolonged time of peace, the wealthy and the powerful are becoming more wealthy and more powerful and God is not happy with his people and the way that they are treating the poor, the powerless. And so we see this famous verse. It's as if God is walking into the courtroom saying, listen, it's simple, I'm gonna lay out the case for you. Here's what you're doing, I'm not pleased, here's what I require of you. God's just making it real simple. And he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy, that word is also translated as kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, it matters how we live out the Great Commission. It matters how we live out this faith. Because I think sometimes we love God so much that we do things in the name of loving God that actually hurt our neighbor. God, I love you so much. Look at my passion, guys. There's been a lot of terrible things done in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, in the name of Christianity that have hurt the neighbor. So it matters how we live out the Great Commission. We can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, but we forget the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what does that mean for us? It means to do, act justly. I think it's interesting that the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, the great commission and the great requirement are all focused on other people. They're all focused on other people. I think sometimes in America, we make our faith so much about us and how I feel and what God is doing in my life and what is he doing in this season of my life. That's why I asked Jay tonight, Jay, we... we we're, we're flooded with, with messages of hope outside of Christ. And so let's just talk about, let's just sing about Jesus tonight. Because we get so focused on 
me and how I feel and what God's doing in my life and what he's not doing in my life, that we forget that we have commands and requirements that we are to act justly towards our neighbor. That we are to love mercy. Not just love it, love giving mercy. Think about that for a second. Some of you guys are gonna go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're gonna have conversations where you're like, okay, God, hold my mouth, please. Start praying that you would love, God, help me to love to give them mercy, what they do not, don't, don't, I'm not gonna give them what they deserve. That's mercy. We don't say what they need to hear at the dinner table, at least what we think they need to hear, right? We're gonna correct them. So the prayer begins now, God, help me to love mercy. Help me to love kindness. And what I love about these, these requirements is they just bring me back to who, the character of God because God is just. And God is rich in mercy. And the loving kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. Some of you need to hear that God is kind to you. And so the requirement that we have is to act justly towards other people, our neighbor. It means we take their concerns as our own. We take their unfairness as our own, because let's be real. When it comes to fairness, when it comes to justice, we are all about it, when it's in our favor. My daughter, we have this conversation on a weekly basis, because she's the only girl, so literally everything is unfair, okay? And every time something, she gets all mad, and she's like, it's, un, it's unfair, the boys always. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the question is this. Sweetheart, do you want me to treat you like the boys? No. I do not want you to treat me like the boys. Not that I treat them badly, I just treat them differently. Because they're boys. She got her own room years before the boys did. But she didn't go say, hey, Dad, I, th- I really feel like it's an injustice that I have my own room and the boys do not. Can we make, can we rectify that situation? I'll give up my room. That didn't happen. Like she loved it. Sign the door, keep out sign, already there. Like it's all there. We love fairness when it's fair on our advantage. And we love justice when it's the person that cuts us off and they get the ticket. But when I get pulled over, I want mercy, right? I don't want what I deserve. And so the prophet Micah is just telling the Israelites, the people of God, and so for us, the same thing. You need to act justly. I think the other thing that I've seen in this, in this political climate that we're in is that neither political party holds the totality of biblical ethic. Not one party, the right or the left, holds all of the biblical ethic. There are things on both sides of the aisle that you can find in the Bible, like, yes, this is God's heart. And you can find things on both sides of the aisle that that is not the way God would intend it. And so the challenge for us is not to point out the flaws in the other side. The, the problem for us is to look at our side, what we believe, and say, hey, where does this align with Scripture and where does does not? And we call it out when we see it. We become the, the advocate for our neighbor within whatever party you wanna be a part of. We point out, hey, this is not aligning with my biblical faith. 
and then you go advocate for your neighbor in that way. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in James chapter two, verse 15. He says, suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about those physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And if I'm honest, when I look at this idea that Christians, that followers of Christ are called to act justly, to love mercy and kindness and walk humbly with our Lord, I'm a football fan and we have punted the ball. We said, government, you take care of that. I'll vote every couple of years, but you, then you take care of the rest. No, the church has, we, we've acquiesced our responsibility to a fallen and broken system. The church should be the ones, Christians, followers of Christ, should be the ones leading the charge of justice and loving and caring for our neighbors and listening to them and saying, what, what is it? How can I advocate for you? How can I put myself in a position to bring justice because guys, this is what the Bible's talking about. This is not what Andy's talking about. This is the Bible. It says you are to meet the physical needs of your neighbors. How dare we claim Christ and just say, hey, good luck. Go get a job. Try harder. No. So just like the last point, we need to reclaim our purpose. Not rely on the government to fulfill the needs and the responsibilities of the church. Jesus has said, hey, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. He said, hey, go tell your neighbor about the good news of Jesus. And then God in the Old Testament, Micah says, hey, my people, my kingdom, the good life is characterized by acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with me. And so we need to reclaim our purpose. And for some of us, before we reclaim it, we need to repent. We need to turn from where we've been going and turn back to the Lord and say, all right, God, I confess this. I've let this get out of hand. I've punted this to the government or other people or to the church, and I've just kind of sat back and said, hey, you guys should do all that stuff. Guys, in a... In a in an ever-changing world, our purpose as Christians is unchanged. Depending on who's in office, it may change how we go about it. It may change when or how or where we, we go about loving our neighbor. But our purpose as Christians, when we, excuse me, when we wake up tomorrow morning, is unchanged. We wake up tomorrow and we love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And we love our neighbor tomorrow as we would love ourselves. And then as God opens doors, as Colossians 4, Paul prays, as God opens doors, we might display and explain the mystery of Christ to our neighbors. The most loving thing we can do. And tomorrow morning, depending, no, no matter who's in the White House, we wake up tomorrow saying, hey, it's my job, it's my responsibility, my purpose on this world to act justly towards my neighbor, to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord. I love this quote, and I want to end with it, from this book that I'm reading called Compassion and Conviction. 
the authors write, it's like three guys that write. So they say, we as followers of Christ should engage politics because politics impact people. And doing so provides us a great opportunity to love our neighbor by acting justly, promoting human flourishing and seeking prosperity of our community. Should we engage politics? Absolutely. Should it be our God? No, it is a terrible God. Politics is a terrible God. It will let you down. And that's why as Christians, we live at our purpose. Every day, every season, every decade and every year and every month, we wake up every day living out our purpose. And so the unchanging purpose of the Christian is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission is to make disciples, to seek and save the lost, and the last is the great requirement to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So what do we do with this? I wanna offer four things. Number one, I wanna encourage you and maybe challenge you to put Jesus back on the throne of your passions, of your thoughts and your opinions. That your opinions wouldn't drive your speech. Your love for Jesus would drive your speech. That you would take whatever we put on the throne, whatever we try and put on the throne, whatever's drifted onto the throne, unbeknownst to us, we take that off the throne, we put Jesus back on it. And maybe for the first tonight, time tonight, somebody here is like, I've never actually even heard that concept. Man, we would love to talk to you about that before you leave. Some of us, like myself, over the years, need to repent and turn back. Instead of putting my energy towards the things of this world, I just ask God, how would you like me to live in this world as a follower of you? Secondly, ask yourself, ask a friend, how do we advocate for and love my neighbor as myself? How do I actually do that? It's easy to talk about it, it's easy to do a Bible study, it's easy to hear a talk, but how do we actually act justly? How do we advocate for and love our neighbor as ourselves? Number three, live in a way that makes the gospel compelling, not repelling. That you would live your life following Jesus in such a way that people would lean in. Our faith and our Savior have been hijacked. And when the name of Jesus is brought up now, it is a repelling thing because of the way that we have handled a lot of life. And so church, how do we do that? We, we walk humbly with the Lord. We're gentle and kind and merciful and patient and we are laser focused on the good news of Jesus. So what would it look like for you to live out your faith in such a way that people would lean in and be like, what, what is it about you? Anxious doesn't seem to be a word you use. Worry isn't something that seems to be a part of your life. But peace and confidence in something, what, what is that? What would it look like for you to wake up tomorrow and live a life that is compelling to a world that is waiting for something better? Because if, if this political and this election cycle has shown us anything, is that the hope of the world is garbage is exhausting at best. It's exhausting, I'm just glad it's over. 
that we might bring life and life to the full to our workplaces and to our neighbors? What would that look like? What would our speech sound like? What would our online uh, activity change and look like? And then lastly, I wanna challenge you to share the good news of Jesus with your neighbor. And in doing so, you will do the most loving thing possible. Colossians 4, 6 is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Paul says, pray for us that God would open a door that we might share the mystery of Christ. Instead of praying for a good day, pray that God would open a door and that you would have the boldness and the faith to step through the the door, that you might share the mystery of Christ. Guys, we have a watching and waiting and hurting world and they're looking to some people in an institution to fix everything. And guys, we know it's not gonna do it. Half of our country is gonna wake up tomorrow or in the next couple of days and be really let down by the system. So we offer them something better. We offer them a God who knows them and loves them and cares for them. And we tell them how God has transformed our life into that faith and that salvation, that security might be theirs. Because presidents may change, laws may change, but our purpose as Christians do not change. Our approach and our application may change, but our purpose does not change. Church, let's reclaim our purpose in Jesus. What you were made for. What the church, the bride of Christ was made for. Let's reclaim it starting tonight. So let's go. There'll always be another election cycle. There'll always be another job. There'll always be another house. There'll always be another friend group. But let's go. Your purpose as a Christian goes all those places and it never changes. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. As at least this body of Christ actively tries to reclaim the purpose in which we're made. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for today. God, even the craziest, I thank you because the craziest brings me back to you every time. God, thank you that you have offered us and given us very simple and very clear instructions on what does it look like to follow you in unchanging and uncertain and unprecedented times and that our purpose in you does not change. Did you invite us to walk with you humbly through this life? That you have somehow in your wisdom and majesty and glory have chosen us as your plan A to bring the hope of the world to our neighbor. God, I pray you'd open our eyes to see the ways that we can love people in such a way that would compel them to lean into the gospel of Jesus instead of be repelled by it. God, I pray as we go into 120 seconds, God, I pray that you would do work in us that we would trust you, that you've been through this cycle thousands and thousands of times. You've seen people rise and you've seen people fall. You've seen countries rise and you've seen countries fall. You've seen leaders rise and leaders fall and you remain. God, help us cling to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Psalm 34, eight says, blessed 
are those whose refuge is the Lord. So God, work in us in the next 120 seconds as we worship you and follow you in your son's name.